Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book has an unusual title, at least from my perspective. It's titled Hopkins Pickering. And joining me from near Washington, D.C. in Virginia is the author, Michael Sharma. Welcome, Mike, to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, this is, uh, is this your first book? It's 125 pages. Uh, share with my listeners a little of what this book is about. So, I mean, it's a little hard to describe, essentially, because it's my my take on certain things in life. Um, I mean, normal things, I guess you can imagine, like, you know, love and friendship. But, but then also it kind of stems into frustration with society and frustration with, I don't know, how things work. And it's just my take on it. And I don't know. I mean, I, I wrote these poems, essentially, like on a whim. I was just at work, just sitting there, bored. And I was just like, oh, I like to write. So I'll just <laughs> write some poems. And I just start stuffing them in my wallet and eventually you know over the past three years i mean my ex-girlfriend eventually convinced me to do it i didn't do it then but i um i don't know i eventually did so i mean it's i mean if you read the uh, introduction i mean that's essentially what it is it's just my take on this world and the bullshit of it honestly right well it's it's a very and the beauty of it it's a perplexing world we live in, and uh, not a lot of us yep. are, are looking for ways to express it. You have expressed it in poetry, which is a great way to do so. Some people uh, write music. Some people uh, are on the streets protesting. I guess that would be a way to describe uh, their, their life choices. Your, your poetry itself, uh, can you share a couple of those with my audience so that they can get a, an idea of how you approach the uh, poetic style of uh, of writing a book of this type? So the thing is, is that when I initially started writing, I mean, if you read it, there's definitely poems that sound different. It like, sounds like a different writer wrote it. That's because my style changed. So initially I would rhyme them, and then eventually I started just kind of doing free verse and whatever. I don't know anything about poetry. I don't know how to structure it. I don't know anything about it. I just kind of do it. I feel a rhythm in my head of words, and I just go about it. So... I'll read you a couple of different ones. Sure. Um, uh, what it like? I'll read you excerpts of three, and then yeah, you can kind of get the idea of you know what. I don't know how I guess how I write. I don't know. Sure. I mean, like I said, these are on a whim. You know, they were just essentially just to write on the whiteboard in my corporate office, just piss off people. So yeah, I'll start with this one's called the mountain. Everyone, this is one of the uh, probably one of the older ones. Um, everyone seemed to like this, but. Yeah. All right. Uh, This is a little into the middle of the poem, but it goes, Water rolls, children stroll, dogs follow their nose, going round and round in a fishbowl, teeth sink, birds drink, critics overthink, men in $1,000 suits fix their cufflinks, artists get gigs, people get rigged, bums smoke cigs, presidents drop bombs as they're breaking twigs, the mountain is high, but it isn't big. I mean, that's a pretty long poem, but that's like in the middle of it. Mm. Um, But then... Let's see what I can do here. All right. But then this one's a little different. This this one's called The Range. So, I mean, a lot of these poems, you kind of have to read the full thing to kind of get it. Sure. But I'm going to try my best to kind of give you a good window into them. All right. This one starts out, adventure, what a ticket. The trees that bend, never seen and never to be seen again. The water that looks as ever feels like a foreign substance I could have poured from the pools of Venus. The smiles of lowly lost souls dissipate as fast as thoughts of familiarity are forgotten. The air that flows over your skin and engulfs your lungs adds something new. As to bring life, 
bring to life something long dormant within. We are the nomads of reality, driven by the thoughts of what lies beyond the range. It perpetuates through every choice, every moment, towards inevitable branch, which ends in another. I accept this and pray it drives me to peaks which never end. Interesting. Uh, you as mentioned this took a I not took but you spent about three years putting or assembling these poems together. Had you always been a poet in your personality? Had you always written and uh, and had uh, copies of things that you had written? Well, the thing is, is that it's like writing is a certain thing where if you force it, you know, if you don't really have something you want to say, a lot of people have the ability to write, but when they have nothing to say, it comes off like crap. Yeah. comes off generic, it comes off forced. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I definitely, I definitely as a kid wrote, I mean, the first time I was in an advanced English course, um, I was in an advanced like, program in high school, and my, my English teacher in that class actually gave us an assignment to write a forced hands of poem. I'd never really written a poem before. I was into music, I played guitar, whatever. Uh-huh. So I wrote the poem, super stoked on it. I mean, she was just kind of like, wow, okay, like you can definitely write. The thing is, it was about, like, you know, stuff a 15-year-old would write about, like, parents and school and girls, whatever. <laughs> but, you know, once I got older, a lot of things, like, a lot of heavy things happened, you know, and that's how being adult is, you know. It's just you're a kid and innocent and everything's so beautiful and whatever. You grow up, you see how shitty the world can be, not to you, but just to themselves, hmm. you know, and they just kind of, like, put themselves in this circular struggle and they don't even see that like the folly of it. Mike, what you've described is that uh, circular firing squad that happens in uh, some people's writing where they they uh, really don't make a point. They just sort of uh, talk about a, an item. How is yours different? I don't know. I guess mine's true. I mean, the the intent was never to get it published. You know, it was literally just me expressing myself to myself for myself to just express. I mean, I was never going to get it published. You know, I wouldn't say, I don't know, I guess I don't really see too many poems out there or just pieces of work express the bullshit of this world, the crap of this world, the brainwashing that everyone is just is just succumbed to in this world, you know? Right. And it's just like, it's like I was saying earlier, you know, um, my writing doesn't come from me trying to be like, I'm trying to be an author or I'm trying to do all this. I mean, the damn book got published because I was trying to talk to my best friends i if, if, if that wasn't the case i wouldn't give a shit to publish this thing mm. you know i would have the poems and i can always read them and i know that i wrote them it doesn't matter the thing is is that i mean the basis of them is one single one single story that can just can just you know explain all of them right because what it comes right. down to is the is the my confusion of of how i'm supposed to deal with all this crap that everyone's talking about that doesn't matter at all it doesn't matter Hmm. You know, that girl who died, right? right, 22 years old, 21 years old, on a drug, and everyone's crying about, what, racism? You care that if this guy wants to bang a dude, you care if this girl wants to bang a girl, you care that, you know, all this other crap that doesn't matter? Like, you can't change that. You can't change racism. You can't change discrimination. You can't do that. People are always going to shit on other people. That's what it is. What you can change is a 21-year-old who's dead because of a drug that should not be legal. Mm-hmm. And it is. It is legal. So my book aims to hopefully even open up one person's eyes to, to, to just look at the world in a different perspective, to see that having that corporate job and having that 401k and having that, that house, it doesn't mean anything. News, action, sports, top of the hour, every hour. Mm-hmm. What a bag of shit. 
You know what I mean? With Chet, you betcha. It's like, it doesn't matter, man. Right. None of that stuff matters. When there's people dying out there and you're out there at a football game saying, I'm having fun, I bet he's. But people are dying. And those same people are sitting there crying about how there's so many problems in America when there's so many other problems in the world that are so much bigger than, you know, Timmy over here getting called uh, a nigga or something, you know, by some white guy. That yeah. guy's racist. Okay? Yeah. That's life. Deal with it. There's bigger problems in the world. That's my book. That's why it's different. It speaks the truth, at least my truth, of how shitty this world can be. Utterly. My anger towards it. It's my yeah. confusion towards it. It's my sadness towards it. It's my happiness. It's my acknowledgement of its beauty. And your passion, of course. But it's all just crap at the end of the day, because it all goes to crap anyway. Have you had, uh, I'm sure you've shared this with other people, obviously, or as you've uh, at least implied, this book would never have been written. Some have been inspired mm -hmm. or challenged by your thinking, correct? All the time. I'm a disagreeable <laughs> person. <laughs> Well, that's a good thing. I, I don't think it's... Uh, Which, it's, it's fine. The world doesn't change without crazy. You're right there. I, I happen to be a, a, an agreer of that. I have uh, people in social media that uh, are on my case all the time because I have a differing viewpoint from uh, from many out there. They uh, they don't exactly subscribe to that, so they, they get uh, irate about it. Now, your book is, again, a fairly short read, 125 pages, but it's because of the subject material. You've got titles like Rush Hour Blues. That's something, at least by title, that would be, intrigue me for sure. Uh, you talk about paper trees, penmanship, philosophy, uh, the universe, uh, a wide-ranging uh, view of life, and you've shared it, and it's a passion that will be uh, embraced by many. And as you ha have completed this, what was the most you know, challenging? I mean, writing, I'm not going to say writing's easy, but whatever I wrote came out pretty walking down to that, that building and handing this book to this girl who doesn't give a shit about me. Uh -huh. um, that was probably the most challenging part about this book because she was the reason she's always going to be the reason why this book is out there Hopkins Pickering is a grave in Richmond, Virginia where I realized that I could feel for another human being I looked her right in the face and it wasn't because she was pretty it wasn't because she was cool it wasn't because of any of that it was because she was me when I looked in her face she mm. was me mm. I saw myself reflected back this book is for her man yeah. that grave changed my life completely she changed my life completely most challenging part was walking up to that building and knowing that I was looking right in the face when she doesn't want to see me and just hand her this book this thing that's added to the world regardless if anyone picks it up and reads it it doesn't matter it exists and exists because of her that was the most challenging part writing it was a joke hmm. I mean it's literally just me killing my work you know, it, I mean, I, I, value poems. I value my writing, but it was never a challenge to write. And it's not like I sat there trying to, you know, make some profound thing. It was just me sitting there and writing. I never erased anything. I just wrote it. You know, um, I think that's the best stuff that can come out of somebody. I'm not saying what I'm writing is the best stuff in the world, but it's the best thing that I can give as far as writing goes. And that came out naturally. Um, but yeah, giving to that girl was probably the most challenging part. Incredible. I read her all my poems anyway. I always used to read it to her. Fabulous, fabulous uh, effort on your part and 125 so. pages. So congratulations on sharing your passion and sharing your story. Where did listeners get a copy or view uh, your your work? Uh, Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and from the Ex Libris site. Excellent. And they can do a search under your name as well, Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L. 
and last name yep. Sharma, S-H-A-R-M-A, to find yep. this and anything else that might come out in the future. Uh, is there a possibility of a regular novel coming out, maybe? Yeah, so actually about uh, three years ago, I was 25, I had diagnosed a metastatic uh, stage 3 testicular cancer spread to my lungs. Wow. That's what changed everything. Um, this book was just published because I had it. But I've been trying to write that, and what I'm learning over, you know, cancer is is step one. I mean, I'm I'm a tough son of a bitch, so that was nothing. Mm-hmm. To get going through chemo and everything that was, that was the easy part. Being in this world again and realizing how fragile your life can actually be, even if you're so young, you know, and the things I've learned in the past three years, the things that I've seen. Um, I do apologize for my anger, but it's not it's not that I'm an angry person. It's just you know, people just waste their lives. They really do. They waste it for things that they're told on TV and from their parents that they're supposed to have. And there's just more to this world than that. What's the point of living a life if you didn't leave the world better than you found it? You know, wow. even if, if you sacrificed love, you sa- I sacrificed love and I'm fine. You know, I broke up with that girl, but I'll always love her, you know. And the thing is that it's like now I just want to add to the world. I want to figure out what I can do here more than just own shit yeah you know what i mean so well i i i, I, don't, I, I don't know I, again th- thank yeah, you yeah I, I definitely want to write it yeah thank you for sharing your journey and uh listeners keep in touch with michael sharma uh, online and uh try to keep in contact with what he wants to share because he does have a passion and does have a story to tell so michael thank you for sharing insight not only into this book but also to your journey. Thanks again for being a part of today's program. I appreciate it, Jay. Thank you so much. My pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Congratulations on getting your book published. The effort you put into your work is truly commendable. But what's next? What will happen to all the knowledge you have worked so hard to acquire to produce your book? Here at Toginet Radio, we can provide you a platform to keep your knowledge working for you through the power of podcasts. The subjects our podcasts cover are as varied as the grains of sand on a beach. From life coaching, to military resources, to business success, even to the paranormal. We have a place for everyone. To get started on your next step, call Scott at 903-787-5880 or email him at scott at toginetradio.com that's s-c-o-t-t at t-o-g-i-n-e-t r-a-d-i-o dot com Welcome back to Ex Libris Greetings for Ex Libris on Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is unique, and it's titled Hell on Horseman Road. And joining me is the author who writes under the um, nom de plume, or the author name of Honest Chunk. Welcome, Miss Chunk, to the uh, to the program. 
Hi, thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining me as well. You are on the west coast, I mean, sorry, the east coast of the United States. Uh, you have, uh, I guess, a, a very diverse background, including uh, in the food industry to some degree, at least uh, as a U.S. brat, you, you traveled extensively and you you love uh, Spanish food. Uh, this book, though, is uh, is a new venture for you. Have you always wanted to be an author? I'm a GM brat, which is close to a U.S. brat, where we do travel a lot you know, um, to, from coast to coast. Oh. But yes, uh, no, I do have a Hispanic background, and we all of our events are based around food. Oh. Uh, just everything with heavy ingredients and very rich, and um, of course, we have celebrations for everything. <laughs> Your desire to be an author and the uh, the motivation to do this book, Hell on Horseman Road, where did it come from? Uh, what was the the desire that made this possible? Um, it was something that I went through that I did not expect. It was completely the opposite of what I what I was uh, told, uh, and therefore the story just kind of wrote itself, and I just felt obligated uh, to get the story out there to let people know that, you know, you just can't, you just don't even trust these days. And we really, we really don't know deep down sometimes who people are and how horrible they truly be. And to stand by and just have to watch it was just, uh, there's no words for it. So I had to try to put it in words into a book. And what would be the the general idea? This is uh, is it? It's not fiction exactly. Uh, is there fictional uh, accounts inside the story itself? No, this is a true story. So this actually happened. Mm. Uh, of course, things were omitted uh, for certain reasons, but uh, everything that was written is. Uh, and did oh, it's fascinating. 332 pages. It must have taken a long time to complete. Uh, you were in the middle of the, this story, and and uh, how did you keep notes, or how did you get, keep the story accurate in uh, these 332 pages? It, it kind of was accurate in itself as the months went on. It was like one. It was like pieces of my life. So one month this happened, and the next month this happened. And so it was kind of easy to just document since it all had truly happened. Um, so when I sat down to write it, it started to go pretty pretty easy, although it did take longer than I expected it to take. But um, I wrote it down in months as time went on, each month what happened. Would you describe the story, the actual events, as uh, one that are horrific, uh, one that will shock the reader? How would you describe uh, the reader's response to your storyline? I hope they're as shocked as I am, because I did not anticipate all of this, and I truly did not know that who I thought was my friend could be capable of acting this way uh, towards his mother. Uh, I, I, I was horrifically shocked like I'm still shocked I'm just like I can't believe that happened so I'm thinking that everybody else should be as shocked as I am is there something that you can share with the audience that will give them a general feeling for uh, the events of your book um, it was somebody that I met that I thought that I really um, uh, got along with and they were hiding a dark drug problem and masked it so well. I mean, this person 
was going on into a life that was it was above normal to, uh, to all to all looking eyes. I was completely shocked to find out that there was all this underlying uh, confusion and drug use and um, blurred lines of life. I'm I'm just I'm just blown away. I'm just blown away. In addition to the drug aspects of your book and the uh, the shock that's involved there, were there tragedies that also are revealed in your book? Uh, yes, where you know sometimes people are afraid to be who they are, and they hide them, and they cover them up with other things to seem quote unquote normal mm. to everyone else. And to hide these things is, is a great tragedy. Nobody should ever have to hide who they are, um, whether that be their, you know, drug problems, their family issues, their sexual preferences. Um, all of these things, you know, are in this book. You mentioned a couple of people by name, or at least they have a name in the book. I'm uh, presuming that these names have uh, been fictionalized for the sake of uh, of uh, protecting the identity of the the individuals involved. Uh, would that be an accurate description? Absolutely. These names are far from their actual names. And what is it that you hope to achieve by sharing this story, which, uh, in from your perspective, is, is certainly one that was traumatic and one that was difficult to understand? You felt the need to to share the story. What is the underlying message that you wanted to uh, to make sure got portrayed in your pages? That sometimes we do things um, to help other people, but it really doesn't help us. Um, as sad as that is, that, you know, we want to help everybody and we want to think that we're doing the right thing, but in the end, it could really cost us a lot. Mm. You've used a couple of, or three words that uh, I think uh, share your deep thoughts and deep feelings about the contents of the book. You've used the words lying, hateful rats. Uh, as a way to describe the uh, the individuals in your book, so there there was some personal trauma involved for sure. Uh, were there other people affected by the contents of your book uh, in a in a negative way? Uh, I, I would think that we were all um, we were all hurt in a negative way, and and it's all due to lying and deceit and 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 you know being fake and pretending. So I think I think I think everybody involved was hurt, um, but me having to be like this, um, like fly on the wall almost because I'm you know just kind of like an outsider that was kind of brought in into the situation, you know, unbeknownst that this was all going to be this huge ordeal. Um, I think we all we all we all hurt from this. The title? I mean, not, no, I don't think anybody won. The title is unique also. What What is the significance of the title? Is it uh, actually based on fact, or is this just a, a, a title that you designed to get people's attention? Um, it's actually kind of based on fact. Um, I went through hell um, by the horrific ways that man, people, treat each other. Hmm. So hell on horseman road, that the horrific ways that man treat each other. Uh, it, it, it's 
I just couldn't believe that things like this would happen. And why? Like, there's no reason for it. You have uh, described your primary focus of the book as a sociopath. Uh, that is that an accurate description of the, the primary suspect, I guess I'll call them, in this book? Uh, yes, and I had to I had to search that out for what kind of a person that you know what kind of a person is this what kind of and I had to do research and um, that is the actual word for the actual clinical term. For the yeah, we got a little bit of background noise, but that's not an issue. I'm I'm happy to uh, to be talking with you anyway. You have uh, you you have completed uh, again three hundred over three hundred pages in this. Uh, how long did it take to complete? Um, two, two months. And, and through that two months, I was thinking, how does Stephen King do this? <laughs> like, my bum hurt so much. I couldn't, I was standing up trying to type and write. I was like squatting. I, I just, oh, I don't know how Stephen King writes. Oh, my Lord. I couldn't. But two solid months of sitting. Well, that's, that doesn't sound that... At the computer. That, that sounds difficult, but not, yeah, would, not complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's been 10, 12 hours a day trying to get it right. So, wow. Um, I, I want anybody to take the challenge. It's, oh, it's rough. I didn't want to sit down for a while <laughs> after that. Was it, was it uh, uh, I guess, uh, unpleasant to the point that you may not uh, do a follow-up book of, uh, of any type? Or, or how are you... Uh, how are you uh, feeling about being an author? How has that uh, how has that affected that? I like it, but it's one of those starving artist kind of kind of uh, situations. But um, I would love to write a true event, you know, things that happen in my life. I do have a another idea uh, in mind for a, for a second book, not not pertaining to this. This is actually one situation, but. Um, I, I do have another book in mind, and, and also a poem book. Wonderful. So I've had some things in mind, and I'd like to dabble in it. That's good to hear. This book, has it been shared with anyone that is not directly uh, associated with the activities and the uh, the contents of the book? Have you had any feedback from anyone at this point? Yes. Um, I have um, a website for the book, and I also have a YouTube um, book video for it that I have shared on social media. Um, so I have it out on social media, which is, which is um, Instagram is chunksofhonesty.com um, is the website, and Chunks of Honesty is the Instagram name. And then on um, Facebook, it's uh, Author Honest Chunk. Um, and then the YouTube video can be Googled by How on Horseman Road. Beautiful. Um, and that'll give... The, but I would like to turn this book into a movie, which is where I'm going with this actual book. The title certainly is intriguing enough. It sounds like there's mystery and a little bit of everything in the contents, even though it's based on on actual events. I, I think that you may have a, a possibility there. Where can they also get a hard copy of your book? Um, has it, and you just Google search, um, How Long Horseman Road. And you can also get it available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Um, I was thinking about maybe voicing it for Audible, because I feel like if I tell the story in my voice, 
and you'll actually like get some kind of emotion that goes with me and see how I will feel it. That sounds like a great idea. Horseman is spelled H-O-R-R-S-A-S-M-A-N, Horseman, H-O-R-R-S-M-A-N, Road. Hell on Horseman Road is the title of the book. My author, who writes under the name of Honest Chunk, thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. This is a fascinating idea, and hopefully it goes well for you, and we'll look forward to visiting with you in the future when the next book is completed and published. Great. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. My pleasure for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Only once every few years does a show come along that makes you think, makes you care, makes you believe the impossible. A show featuring only the best in writing, acting, and directing. Until that show comes along, we suggest Paranoria, Texas. Thrilled to the adventures of six super-powered nerds on a never-ending quest to take over the world and to complete their collection of She-Hulk comics. Paranoria, Texas, Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central on astronetradio.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris on air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is an intriguing title, Quilt Whispers, Stitch Bonds of Experience, Inquiry, and Growth. And joining me from near Philadelphia in Pennsylvania is the author, Doris Steiner Diener. Welcome to the program. I am here, and I am so glad to be here today. Thank you for joining me. Your book is uh, is gorgeous, if I may use that terminology. Uh, I expected it to be kind of a boring read and uh, photos of who knows what or sketches or how-to on how to make quilts. I will say this, it's more of an art book, at least from my perspective. It also carries a, a great deal of, of introspection on uh, events in life. You are a person that is probably over 39 and have uh, a lot of life experiences you've shared in your book. What was the reason for writing this? What gave you the motivation? I believe that there is an intrinsic way of weaving our beliefs through the formation of our perceptions of ourselves and others, the choices we make, and how we respond to the circumstances that life deals us. I believe that's how we live on, that, that how we live on our outside is formed and nurtured within us as an intentional parent and homemaker and professional, the precious captured moments for quilt making have afforded me time for internal processing, which I believe is vitally important to assess my values and ideas and responses to life. Quilt making has allowed me to look honestly at the successes and failures of my past and to choose what to borrow from them to live into tomorrow with authenticity and integrity. I wish for everyone to capture those moments for their own creativity, which will allow them to look within and to embrace the good, flush out the tarnished, and then choose wisely the legacy they are leaving behind. So I think my goal was to encourage and to challenge people to look beneath the surface and live honestly with who they are 
because I think that that's what we have to offer the world. Well, beautifully said. Now, Doris, you have been a quilt maker for a number of years, I think, and started, uh, was it just quilt making, or were you also doing some cross-stitch and some other things in your past? Oh, I enjoy all kinds of stitching, but quilt making by far has been the one that has captured my intrigue. I love to design, I love to learn new techniques, and I love the expressions that they give to life. The designs in your book, again, the photography is spectacular, and from my perspective, and again, I'm not a quilt maker or even a quilt admirer in the uh, true sense of that word. I I own a few and uh, admire them occasionally. My daughter made me a beautiful quilt at one point. But yours are more in the, I would call, the artistic range. Uh, Was that something you initially set out to do, or was it something that just developed because of your love for quilt making? I think it was more of a, of a desire to share something. My quilts were born out of a circumstance, um, a disappointment, um, trying to capture or understand people, how they think and why they think that way. So this is a reflection time. And so one of the, I, I feel like this book can be read as a memoir, which it truly is, but it also can be a quilt resource. It can be an appetizer that builds anticipation for creative expressions of one's own story, or it can be read as a devotional. All of my quilts were usually motivated by something that was happening in my life. Hmm. Did you design the quilts that are included in the photos in your book, or were they from a pattern that was outside of your realm of influence? There are some that are traditional patterns, and then I think the book refers to specific ideas that were stimulated by quilt designers, but they usually take on a twist of their own. I, I always feel that a pattern is a springboard for something. Uh. It's not intended to be followed exactly. It's <laughs> intended to inspire and make your own, and so that's kind of my approach to quilt design And so even if I do use somebody else's pattern as a springboard, I probably tweak it a bit to make it my own. I have done bread making in the past, and uh, those around me that watch me work are offended that I don't follow the recipes 100%. And so I can, I can appreciate that. I'm a, I'm a creative also <laughs> and uh, understand the, the drive to make something personal and your own. You've commented in your book, consider with me is what you, what you have headed this little uh, exercise with. With all my heart, I do believe hope exists, though our pathways to find it may be quite different. Number one, how do you hold on to hope when circumstances forcefully try to steal it? How might you be submitting to or defending a dissolution of hope? And how might you find new hope when the former has dried and blown away? Those are reflective thoughts, and uh, it is a, a an underscore of the content of your book, not just a how-to, not just a book full of wonderful artwork, but, as you've mentioned, a reflection of your life and your philosophy. Have you always had a positive outlook on life? I have tried to. I just believe that, you know, I can complain and whine about things as much as possible, but it doesn't help at all, and it just brings me down and everybody with me. I, I do believe also that, that we, leave, we leave a legacy behind, and I think I referred to this in my response to your first question. And so I choose today 
how I'm going to, what I'm going to leave behind for people who follow. And so I just believe that by being positive, for example, a few days ago I dislocated my shoulder. Mm. Now, it was really stubborn. So in the ER, I felt like they captured me on the East Coast and pulled my arm clear across the U.S. to the Pacific. Mm. And were not able to get it in. It just was really stubborn, so they needed to put me out. Well, that leaves a lot of very, very angry soft tissue. So it hasn't been a fun experience. But, you know, I look back and I say, when is the last time that I've had something like this happen? And it's been a number of years. And I'm just grateful that my life isn't fraught with that kind of stuff. You know, I can check it off the list and keep going, even though it's still immobilized in the sling. (laughs) So... So I guess I just I just don't see any reason to focus on the negative. Beautifully Sometimes put. it does pull me into the valleys, and, and I need to deal with that. But I think the introspection that happens in that creativity is one of the ways that I have coped with the valleys of my life. As I'm sitting there and time ceases to exist, I, I just, you know, whatever the circumstances may be that beckon me to the craft room, This is where I tell the world, okay, stop. I'm getting off for a while. And then as I'm allowed to float in my creative bubble, I can breathe in the fragrance of stress relief and escape from time and expectations. And this frees me to identify, evaluate, categorize my thoughts and feelings. Another fragrance, though, that also comes in that time is an invitation to embody joy. And maybe it's some days because I'm feeling joy and some days because I long for it. Mm, beautiful. Okay? So, so I think for me, there's just no reason of trudging in places that pull us down. Very good. I think good. that life is so much more than busyness and doing and running the quality of life is really, really happens when we process our insides realistically. Absolutely agree with that. I, I wish I had the patience to sit down and <laughs> and uh, get into things that require detail. I, I have a, a tendency to have my mind wander off into other directions, and uh, sometimes it's difficult to shut it down. You have mentioned in your recap of who and what you are that you are looking or have been or have maybe arrived at, I don't mean to insinuate that you are an older person, but you said your grandson's love for cats changed your perspective. Uh, share with uh, my listeners a little of what that means. Uh, the love for cats or just ha- being seasoned? <laughs> I, all of all of those things are beautiful. What, what do you mean? The cats in particular, I, and many of us grow up without uh, pets or responsibilities related to, to pets, and uh, I'm presuming from that that uh, you have embraced the feline culture. Well, let me tell you, I, was, I, I grew up on a farm, so animals were animals and people were people. Yes. We did have pets, but I don't think the attachment was as intimate as what some people experience. Animals had their functions. They did certain things. They performed certain tasks. Okay? Right. So, so that was the environment and of, of the attitude toward animals that was embedded within me. Okay, so I enter adulthood, and I think the book tells the story 
about how I was um, how I accepted cats into my home when <laughs> I was living outside of the state. And and I don't want to I, I don't want to take from that story, but but my feelings then were even in that experience were kind of molded. And so as that chapter of my life moved on, um, I just I just really didn't pay any attention to cats until my grandson just fell in love with them. <sighs> and I love my grandson. I love all of them. And I thought, you know what? It's time that I reevaluate this perspective and <laughs> see through his eyes. And so I tried to do that. And that, that is what that particular whisper is about. Being on our preset. Yes. You know? Yes, and I. Being willing I, to change them. I've had a similar incident in our household. Uh, we have had dogs, cats in, the, in, the, in our history, but had not had them as indoor pets that often. And through a set of circumstances, we ended up with two fairly large they're called catahoulas they're very unusual dogs we sort of adopted them out of necessity and they've become very very important to our lives uh, they remain indoors most of the time and are fun to be around and so i'm joining that generation where i'm changing my perspective and having a little more compassion for the furry, uh, the, the furry friends that uh, that I invade our life sometimes. Uh, those that will read this book, what do you want them to take away from this besides the love of quilting that you have enjoyed? I would like to give my readers a freedom to think beneath the surface and find meaning there. And I believe that life has significant meaning. But sometimes we need to dig beneath the surface to find it. And I think also purpose sometimes is caught up in that. It's easy to live into people's expectations rather than knowing who we really are. So I guess one thing that I would want the readers to do is to, to um, the freedom to think. I would, I would like for readers of Quilt Whispers to find an open door to a safe place where they can enter to process their lives. And it may not be quilt making. My daughter is into wood carving. That is her thing. And that's where she finds this, this time to um, process life. And, and others have many other gifts and abilities. But I, I want the readers to be able to find that that this is my way of doing it, to deal with my past and realize that I can't do anything about my past, but I can live in the present in a way that influences the future. And Wonderful. that's what I want my readers to take away. Wonderfully put. Understand a family member has uh, given their opinion of your activities and your hobby. Yes. Actually, a, a number of them have. It before it was published and after, and, and probably one of the things that I have appreciated so much, much is how readers have reported back to me how that this has helped them to focus in on the important parts of their lives, and Great. I really appreciate that. Great. My Did... husband says that I'm easier to get along with <laughs> when I have a project going, <laughs> and I think it's because, you know, I, I referred to floating in my creative bubble, you know, when I tell the world that I'm, I'm just going to get off for a while. 
I think what happens is when I step back into the world, I'm often much better equipped to deal with its challenges. And in the meantime, I feel like I've grown in some way. Beautiful. On the male side, it's called a man cave. And on the female side, it's called a she shed. Apparently, you've got a very fine she shed in order to work on this. So (laughs) great. I love it. I just love it. 72 pages, not a long read, but again, very artfully done. I think the photos are spectacular. The artistry of what you've done is worth the the price of admission, I was going to say, for your book. 72 pages, the title of which is Quilt Whispers, Stitched Bonds of Experience, Inquiry, and Growth. My guest author, Doris Steiner-Diener. Thank you for joining me today, Doris. Where do we get copies of your book? You can get them at Ex- from exlibris.com. You can also order them on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles as well. And for those who live around this area, I usually keep some here at the house. Oh, fabulous. And let me spell your last name in case my listeners are doing a search online. It's D-I-E-N-E-R, Doris Steiner Diener. Thank you again for sharing your story and your life. This is a beautiful book. would recommend it highly to anyone who loves art, wants to escape for a few minutes, and read an inspiring story. Thank you again for being a part of today's program. And thank you for this opportunity to share this time with you. Fabulous. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. 